Hey there, Pounders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's the 41st episode of the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. Today I've got Leo Clark here with me. He played college with uh, Northwestern Louisiana in the NAIA Division I. Made the tournament two straight years running with Virginia Intermont. When he was a junior, he hit 49% from three. Is a man whose uh, mentor is Keith Jennings, who spent four years in the NBA and 10 years overseas and was the MVP of France. So, Leo Clark, you played with Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Tim Hardaway, pick up at uh, Shabbat Junior College in Hayward, California. And you played Vichy, France, overseas. And you've been teaching and coaching basketball for the last years, 20 years. We're going to spend some time talking about Lakers and Spurs and talking about the last Spurs three or four games here. Thanks for joining me, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know we were kind of texting around during and after the the Lakers-Spurs game, and uh, I just wanted to open this up to begin with and say, man, what did you think about that game? (laughs) Well, I I tell you what, man, I, I, I love watching basketball for many reasons. One, just uh, studying the game um, so I can get a chance as I go and teach players from terminology, et cetera, right? But mm-hmm. a lot of things I'm looking for is how teams are moving the ball and how are teams finishing the game. Uh, that was an interesting finish, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. Uh, we, had a, we had a post written by uh, Charlie O'Charles, who does the Spurs playbook for us, and he looks specifically at the way that the Lakers were working, uh, were, were taking advantage of the Spurs switch everything defense and organizing things so that they had uh, Anthony Davis being guarded by DeMar DeRozan over and over and over. And that's that's something that, that they went to that matchup three or four straight times in the fourth quarter. Is there something else besides that that you thought that was particularly interesting? Well, a lot of times that when I'm looking at games like that is exactly what you said. Like they're looking for the mismatch, right? So anytime mm-hmm. you switch a smaller guy into Anthony Davis, that's just problems waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And the the one when a LeBron led team, he will continually see stuff like that and put teams into mismatches in order to see a guy like Anthony Davis just shine. I mean, you see the counselors kind of spin alley-oops that Anthony Davis would catch. Um, you would see LeBron attacking downhill. A lot of times against the Spurs, LeBron would just put his head down and just go. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek White was able to catch a couple of charges when LeBron did that, so he started to pick up on that. But for the most part, the rest of the Spurs players weren't picking up on that. So those are like little things that I was looking for in that game and wondering why. Okay, you guys know LeBron's attacking downhill. You know Anthony Davis wants to spin and catch alley-oop. That's in scouting. So you got to see that kind of stuff to make sure um, you're prepared ahead of time. Yeah, it was was kind of frustrating to see the Lakers – uh, doing a lot of things with with LeBron and Davis playing off each other. Of course, I mean that that pick and roll is extremely difficult to guard. Even even if you've decided just to switch everything and you've got big bodies to be able to to, to check both of those guys, which obviously the Spurs don't have. But then you had Dwight Howard filling in and 
really kind of playing out out of his mind. He, he, he played on Sunday, you know, better than I've seen him play in years and, and played within himself and filled in those gaps. So when you got a guy, when you got a guy and, and Howard's definitely been the man on teams before he's not, he's not that man on, on this Lakers team, but when you got somebody filling in like that and just, uh, leaving no gaps, it's, it's, it's hard to find purchase, especially when you've spent so much energy coming back from that 19 point deficit to, to have enough, uh, in those last few minutes to, to push it over the top. Absolutely. Like you said, you mentioned the guy, Dwight Howard. So you look at Dwight Howard's last couple of years and the struggles he's had and, and, you know, he has been humbled. He's to the point where he was almost out the league where teams were tired of dealing with him. Yep. He humbled himself, went to the Lakers and he says, I'm willing to play whatever role you want me to play. And last night was probably the hardest I've seen Dwight Howard play in the last three years. And he just kept crashing the boards, crashing the boards, crashing the boards. And he's a, he's a willing pick setter. Like those are like the little things. So if you continue to switch in those situations where I felt like the Spurs should have hedged more on those picks Mm -hmm. rather than switching. Um, Because if you switch with LeBron, he's already got a head full of steam. It's much harder to stop. And if you, if you hedge and, you know, have that backside help waiting, it changes things. But a, a pop led team, you normally see those adjustments made. And I know when they made their run, that, adjustment was made but you almost kind of see them kind of run out of gas and was having trouble scoring so once the lakers defense started to tighten up one of the things that's missing mostly with the spurs is that one go-to guy that when when your offense is not clicking he can just get you buckets and the lakers have that and unfortunately right now the spurs don't yeah there's uh, a lot of times when the game's games come down to those clutch moments you're going to go with your biggest horses and it used to be used to be a league of big threes and now it's down to you know league of big twos and and unfortunately on sunday night the the spurs big two lamarcus aldridge and demar Derozan wasn't able to measure up to lebron james and anthony davis and honestly i think if i'm being completely candid i would go ahead and admit that on most nights, that's going to be the case. If that's a seven-game series between these two teams, and those are the best players on the floor, you'd expect you'd expect the Lakers to come out ahead more often than not. And that's why I wasn't really uh, depressed after Sunday night's game because I was like, "What could I expect?" Right? I mean, it's 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 not like I would I would put uh, our two up against their two and then say, "Well, sure, we're gonna <laughs> win." I wouldn't do it either, Jr. Um, (laughs) and here's here's the reality you go back to even when DeMar and I don't want to pick on DeMar by no means because I I think the the kid for the most part um, is a hard worker and Mm -hmm. and to make it to the league you know I'm going to tip my hat to any of these guys because I know that's not easy but since he came from Toronto every time he's went up against LeBron there's always been these struggles and so then you have to ask yourself, why is that, right? And so if we really break it down, when you look at a guy like DeMar and you go back to his early days in Toronto where he played off of pure athleticism, where has his game improved from a basketball IQ standpoint? And so 
when you get to sit down with a coach like Pop and you can learn from him and pick his brain or saying, hey, what's the easiest ways for me to score? How can I be an efficient scorer? Um, those are the things that I was hoping that he would kind of catapult in in the last couple of years with the Spurs that I really haven't seen that jump. Uh, instead, I've seen guys like, you know, Derek White improve, who, you know, I saw him play a couple of times with the Austin Spurs. And I, I saw some things in him that I was wondering if he had a motor right now. He has that motor mm-hmm. and he not only has that, he plays with a high basketball IQ. Um, I me, I know it's kind of when we go back to the NBA, sometimes the politics. Do you start a guy making lesser money? Um like Derek White over a guy like DeMar DeRozan, would you cause some serious problems? You you probably would. Um, but me personally, I trust Derek White as an overall basketball player from an IQ standpoint more than I trust a guy like um, DeMar DeRozan. Man, uh, at, at Pounding the Rock, we're really big on basketball IQ, on making the smart play, on moving the ball, making that extra pass to get a guy a wide open shot at the at the right at the basket. It's not a highlight reel necessarily, unless you like to watch great passing. But <laughs> man, it is it is so much fun to go back and look over those plays. And those are the kinds of uh, of plays that we're seeing from from Derek White. Man, it's it's great to see guys like uh, Dejounte Murray leading the team in assists, even though he's on. Uh, minutes restriction right now. What did you What did you see from Dejounte on Sunday night? One of the things that I that I really enjoyed watching with Dejounte, Dejounte Murray. Um, I don't want to butcher his name, but <laughs> that the way he played the passing lane on a couple of times. You know, a lot of times I'll sit and watch games with my sons because I want them to understand like anticipation mm-hmm. and like. So Dejounte plays what is called a good split position, meaning that when there's a guy he's guarding and then there's a guy that is getting ready to attack. He's in that position to let his teammate know when I have your help, but I'm also in a position to recover back on my defender. But because of his length and his athleticism and his speed, he's able to hit the gaps in those passing lanes and get some phenomenal steals. I think he finished with a nice dunk. Um, But then, you know, you look at DeJounte and even his shooting. So I guess during it while he was injured, I can tell he worked on his follow through a lot because if you saw his shot a year ago, it was nowhere near what it is now. And that to me is is huge because once he comes off that minute restriction and once he starts to take the shots in the the right times, the right places, his confidence is going to grow to the roof. Seeing a guy like him and Derek White mature together is going to be fun watching the Spurs because there's things that Derek White does. And I go back to him because some of the charges he took, I always ask myself, why isn't the veterans doing that? Usually it's the veterans that that kind of lead teams and kind of set that example. But mm-hmm. it seems like you have the younger guys that are playing with those things of what I call when I'm training kids in basketball is you control your talent. I'm sorry, and I take that back. Actually, you can't control your talent, but you can control your effort, your attitude, and your decisions. And one thing about Derek White, his effort is there. His attitude is pretty on point. Guy doesn't argue with the refs a lot. 
doesn't sit there and whine if he doesn't get a call. Uh, and then his decisions, like his decision making has come a long way, a long way. And I know there's a couple of times, I think, in the first quarter where Pop kind of looked at DeJounte Murray like, hey, what kind of pass was that? Or And Pop <laughs> pulled him out the game and says, hey, we're going to talk about this. All right, now get back in the game. Uh, when I'm watching a guy like that, that's going to help him in the long run because valuing possessions is extremely important. And sometimes it's a lost art where you got guys that is like, man, I'm going to shoot 100 times in a game or I'm going to dribble for 20 seconds of the shot clock. It's it's one of the reasons why I like watching the Spurs because they will move the ball as opposed to watching a team like the Rockets, where you see a guy dribble for you know twenty five seconds of a twenty four second shot clock. I know I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but it's, it it's it's almost that ridiculous sometimes watching guys like James Harden. So going back to Dejounte Murray is his improvements have been refreshing to watch and. Man, if this kid stays on the right track, like I seems like he's on, man, he's going to be problems uh, down the road. Man, it's really cool to hear you talk about DeJounte like that, because I remember a year, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, we were talking about uh, the way his shot looked, the way his follow through was. And you had some, you had some choice words about the way that you described it. And, 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 and rightfully so. I mean, like it, it didn't, it didn't take a, a shot doctor's eye to be able to, to see the, the issues there, but he's definitely improved. It looks so much more fluid and, and, and obviously he's, he's able to, 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 to hit, you know, better, better from three and better from the mid range than he was before. Mm-hmm. What's, What's destroying me about him, though, as as a fan and destroying in a good way, I should make clear, is the way he's finishing through contact and the way that he's getting buckets right around the rim. Because he was, yeah. he was, at, he was the league worst inside <laughs> inside five feet, maybe inside three feet. I'm trying to remember what the stat was in his last year in the league. Of course, he was out with that injury all last year. So yeah. seeing the way that he he manages the con the contact controls the ball and is still able to, to, to score because he, he can get dunks in, but he's not finishing through guys and getting dunks. So you still have to be able to control that ball in there around the rim uh, after you get bumped in order to score. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's not going to be throwing it down uh, after that. So that's really impressed me as, as well as, as the, obviously his work on, on defense uh, and, and just, just how live, his his legs are and he's just he's just down the court so quickly. Oh, I, absolutely, man. Some of the things I look at with guys like Murray and also White is their willingness to pick up ninety four feet. Mm. Um, it, it's you know a good friend of mine. It's, it's when I'm watching the game like <laughs> the Lakers against San Antonio. It's always it's always a tough one for me because I just want to watch good games. But a friend of mine's uh, Phil Handy coaches for the Lakers, and he has this thing called ninety four feet of game. And it's being able to play the game the full 94 feet. Um, and you go back and throw out some names and you look at a guy like Muggsy Bowles at five foot three. How did Muggsy Bowles make it to the NBA? Well, one of the things that Muggsy Bowles did was play 94 feet. He would irritate mm. you and he would disrupt your offense because he's picking you up full court. These are things that I truly believe that Murray could be phenomenal in is just disrupting offenses based on how he picks up full court um has he improved with that 
But also a thing like when you look at a guy like Murray, it's like Tony Parker has retired. So Tony Parker is not with Charlotte anymore. Uh, you know, I, I think I see him shoot a uh, commercial HEB spot that he's doing with the retirees or whatever. Yep. Right. Um, so you look at it, I would be pulling Tony Parker aside and sitting down with him and say, Hey man, I want to work with you and I want you to teach me how to finish. And it's when you look at some of the best finishers around the basket in our league, you're going to look at a guy like Kyrie who's undersized, but is able to manipulate the ball in different ways. And a lot of people will ask, well, how did Kyrie get that way? Well, Rod, Rod Strickland is his godfather and Rod mm-hmm. Strickland back in the day was that phenomenal finisher around the basket, had certain spins on the ball, able to tweak it certain ways to get it up over big guys, et cetera. Um, Tony Parker is that guy. And, and no doubt. Um, I always wonder, do some of these young guys want that mentorship? Do they want to learn? Do they want to be that true student of the game and say, man, I'm going to learn as much as I can from that past generation and, and add that to my game to take my game to that next level. Man, that is awesome stuff. Well, we're going to take a break for a sponsor here real quick. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the way to be a student of the game, but also what those old spurs, Tony and Manu have that I'm not quite seeing from some of the guys on the floor that are current with the team. Got that here in just a second. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. This is J.R. Wilco here with Leo Clark, and we're discussing, uh, just finishing up discussing the Lakers-Spurs game on Sunday. And I want to point out, Leo, something that, that I didn't realize needed as much appreciation as it did when I was watching. I kind of took it for granted. But whenever the Spurs were running that hammer play and Manu would dive straight at the baseline and <laughs> yep. last minute throw that court, throw that pass releasing it sometimes from out of bounds. He never stepped on that line, or at least he, <laughs> he ran it so many hundreds of times that the couple of times that he, he he did. And this is something that last year and this year, I just see DeMar DeRozan's baseline awareness it really surprises me. He, he stepped out against the Lakers. He stepped out against the Warriors. And I know of a few times last year when I, when I kept on seeing him try to run that hammer play, it seems like as often as not, well, maybe not as often as not, but it was a high percentage compared to what I was used to. That was just so, so impressive that Manu and Tony, when they're running that play, just never ran out of bounds. How difficult is it to, 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 to watch all of your positioning, where you are versus the goal versus your man, and trying to, to, to make plays around there and wind up stepping out of bounds? How difficult is that? Well, it's, it's one of those things that goes back to and when I'm talking to kids is court awareness. It's understanding where you at on the court. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's at the top of the key, whether you're on the baseline, whether you're in the corner shooting three so you don't step out of bounds, et cetera. It's understanding where you are even before you catch it. Right. And it's also like Manu. We got to understand one as Spurs fans, you're spoiled. Right. And it's because <laughs> I, I don't. I, Manu's one of those guys where he probably drove pop crazy, you know, literally drove him crazy initially, mm-hmm. but he had an uncanny ability to do certain things that other people couldn't do. I mean, that's why when you look at Manu's Euro step back in the day, it was actually phenomenal. You couldn't stop it. But Manu had an uncanny ability to do wraparound passes where 
that particular play was actually easy for him. And mm-hmm. so when, but those guys, it's the preparation before that play even happens. And so what I, what I mean by that is a lot of times when a guard is penetrating, say a guy like Tony Parker is penetrating to the right. Well, what Manu was looking for was where are the passing windows? And so um, a lot of players just stand in one spot. So he doesn't create a passing window for the guard that's actually making a move. And he sometimes players, and this is where basketball IQ comes into effect, where players don't, they don't watch if the guy that's guarding them, they don't recognize that that guy turns his head to look at the ball. As soon as he turns his head to look at the ball, you should be relocating. Mm-hmm. You're relocating to a spot where it gives you a window to receive a pass. So that's why that hammer play worked so well in the past. A lot of it was based on, Manu and Tony's ability to make that pass, but it was also their movement without the ball, understanding, creating passing windows. I mean, um, Bruce Bowen did it. How you say, how did Bruce Bowen make all those threes in the corner? And a lot of times, if you go back and look at some of that film, it was really his movement when the defender made the mistake. Yeah. And it's, so it's understanding how to relocate, how to read what the defense is doing, when the defense is making a mistake taking what the defense gives you. That's an old saying that's been going on for a while. Take what the defense gives you. The defense gives you that open shot based on the mistakes they make, but you also have the basketball, you have to have the basketball IQ to execute that play. Yeah. And you said, uh, knowing, knowing how to move off the ball when you're, when your man turns his head, when to move off the ball is so important. And that's, that's something that, that Bowen and, 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 Bowen and Manu, when he was a rookie, it, these guys weren't just standing over in the corner and waiting to get the ball. They were, they were going to the corner with a will in that tiny little window when their when when their man had turned their head, and that's uh that's an excellent call out. We got a we got a new guy on the on the Spurs this year, Trey Lyles, who's uh some people are some people are, are griping about how much time he's getting. He's averaging three point three points a game he's, he's crashing the boards crashing the boards hard okay so he's he's doing yeoman's work there but but there's definitely uh definitely some undercurrent uh, surrounding the way that the, the way that he well how many how many he's got more than 20 minutes a game through six games he's starting every game and pops leaning on him and sees something from him you know that and so we're all picking at his game to try and find what is it that he's doing that other players aren't? And one of the things that I, one of the things that I noticed, and and I know you and me go back a little way, so I, I got to go back to 1993, and and and, and Charles Smith uh, <laughs> playing for playing for the Knicks against the Bulls, and and he kept on getting rebounds underneath the basket on that play at the end of the game, uh, and and he kept on getting blocked, kept on getting the rebound going straight back up. And and that's always frustrated me whenever a guy would get a rebound and he wouldn't have the sense just to go, you know what, I need to just turn this, I just need to pass this ball to one of my more offensively talented teammates. <laughs> and Charles Smith didn't did that, didn't do that, and the and the Bulls wound up eliminating the Knicks because of it in that game. But that's something that Trey Lyles never does. He never <laughs> takes the ball back up unless he's all alone and 
just about every rebound he gets, he immediately turns around and he finds he finds Brent Forbes, he finds DeMar DeRozan, he finds Lamarcus Aldridge, he finds Derek White, right? He finds guys who can do something with the ball when they get it. And that's that's such an underrated thing. And it's one of the things that I think that's that's helping him stay on the court. Yeah, you, it's the willing to, you know, the sacrifice for the betterment of the team, right? Mm. And so when we when we look at when we look at basketball, it's let's play the percentages, right? Even though he, I think he's shooting like sixty six percent, he's probably not taking a lot of <laughs> tough contested shots, right? He's so not. that's sometimes that's skewed. Um, and but you go back to the old Dennis Rodman days when he used to rebound and, and kick the ball out to Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, right? He's like, I'm yeah. playing the percentages. I know my role on this team. I'm here to set picks. And all this kind of stuff. He he slowly but surely probably is becoming a glue guy. And with Pop, there's always a method to his madness. Can okay. you imagine the confidence that Trey Lyles is getting, getting these minutes? Because he's in the league. We know that, right? But the more he plays, it goes back to Tiago's splitter. Like a lot of mm. people used to joke about Tiago. How in the world did he get all these minutes? Why is he on the court? But Pop trusted him because he did the little thing. He wasn't a guy that was going to, hey, give me the ball. I want to shoot. It's about me. He was He was kind of like, hey, I'm a glue guy. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. And when you have that in a team, man, it, it, can, it may not seem like a big deal right now, but it can pay off because his confidence is growing every single game. And he might be that guy at the end of the year that will be a huge asset for the team. Um, that will benefit them because what what one thing are you getting consistent from Trey Lyles is effort. What is the one thing that frustrates a lot of Spurs fans from LaMarcus Aldridge? Lack of effort. So it's you got to figure out where you're going to get your 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 guys with that effort. In 20 minutes, he's averaging what seven rebounds a game in 20 minutes. So yeah. that's telling you if he was up there in the 30 minute category, he'd be up there in 12, 14 rebounds a game. Uh, so when I look at that from a stat standpoint, uh, that guy is giving you something within those minutes. And I think long-term it's going to pay off. Yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for him to actually start hitting threes <laughs> <laughs> at this point. If he could hit one, I'd probably applaud. Uh, we're, we're definitely not going to turn this into, into a gripe fest, but I got to tell you that maybe the most frustrating thing about LaMarcus for me uh, is is the fact that he just won't use the glass on his putbacks, man. It's, <laughs> it's right there. It's there for a reason, man. Don't try and yeah. put it straight into the basket. LaMarcus, I know you're listening, but if you are, use the glass, my friend. <laughs> so, use the glass. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. He's, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it now. I'm going to get frustrated. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't get sucked into it. I'm not gonna do it. So so we we got we got we got Trey Lyles and we, and we got Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker got got called out by Pop uh, earlier this earlier this uh late last week. Pop didn't uh didn't use the word horrible and said he was uncompetitive. Uh I really like the way that he played uh Kawhi Leonard. He forced he forced a turnover when he 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 went chest to chest with him. He beat him to the pick. 
Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. But there were any number of other uh, plays. And once again, uh, we had a Spurs playbook post on that by Charlie O'Charles, who did an excellent job of, of diving down into what was it that Pop was talking about? What was the lack of competitiveness? And and really saw him, if not fall asleep on some possessions, definitely not react in the way that the Spurs require. But you got these two guys with these vastly different skill sets, vastly different talent levels. And one guy is maximizing his talent and starting. And another guy can't beat out Marco Bellinelli for minutes. <laughs> And, and it's just, it's just, it's interesting to watch from this point of view, because we know there's a reason Pop's doing what he's doing. He's not senile yet. Right. And so the, the question is, it's a puzzle. How can I watch this game now to be able to see what it is that Pop's sees in why he's making these decisions and why the guy I want to see out there on the court's not there. Well, a lot of times you find out a lot about a player is when they're when they're facing some form of discipline, right? You you find out are they willing to work through it? Are they willing to fight for it? Because what is Marco Bellinelli shooting like what eighteen percent from three right now? And it's not good. It, it's not it's not good, right? So, and I don't think Marco Bellinelli was ever known for his defense. That's not so, the reason he's on the court. <laughs> if Pop is given. <laughs> you know, the minutes away to Marco Bellinelli, then we know there's something going on that he wants to show Lonnie Walker. And this is it's like the hunger in guys. How much hunger do you have to be great at this game? Do you have that chip on your shoulder? If you look at through the history of basketball, there's always been those guys that have that chip on their shoulder. Um, we can go and uh, down. The, you get a look at a guy like Damian Lillard. Now, now, I'm not comparing Lonnie Walker to Damian Lillard, but Damian Lillard is a guy who had what one Division One scholarship offer and was like, "I'm going to show you guys I deserve to be an NBA All Star." And Lonnie Walker. So when you look at the off season and you look at him last year, where he was between, you know, the G League and and the Spurs. And you're like, where was his drastic jump? And so this is something that I, when I talk to the players that I train, have trained over the years and players that I train now, I said, if you can't be honest with the person in the mirror, then you're not going to be able to take others being honest with you. And what I mean by that is, is so if I know my weakness, if I know my weakness is, say, shooting, okay, well, I, I'm a professional basketball player so let me get some help with my shooting so I can become a better shooter or better free throw shooter whatever it may be if I know my you know my struggle is I don't understand offenses okay guess what who's the assistant coach on the Spurs can I watch film with you um I see you know uh, my buddy Phil Handy I see him all the time watching film with Lakers players that are coming off the bench, et cetera, no matter who it is, he's constantly watching film because he won. He's a student of the game. But second of all, he wants to train other players to be students of the game. So Lonnie Walker, at this point in time, he might not be listening. But if somebody gets some word to him, become a student of the game. Really listen to what Pop is saying and then go do your homework and then look at the person in the mirror and say, how can I improve? Be the first one to the gym be the last one to leave. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can make a name for yourself.
Man, that is excellent advice. I got to tell you, I, I still remember uh, 2003, I want to say. It was a 2003 season watching the Spurs move the ball in the early rounds against against some uh against some teams and just my mind blowing because i was like what did i miss how did that guy get all the way underneath the basket this is before the years of dvr right yep (laughs) this was back in the vcr days and i was like how did how did how did that guy get wide open and how did that happened. How did they know that? Mm. And it and it made me want to be able to go back, you know, hope that that was on the highlight reel. Hope that I could, you know, go onto ESPN.com, go into some place and and watch that play over and over to see the way that it developed. And it mm-hmm. it just it just came out of that curiosity. So, you young players out there, I know you're listening. These are excellent words from from Leo Clark here, becoming a student of the game watching and understanding why what works works and what the yeah. bones underneath it that support the game how that how how they interlock how they fit together and how you can use them for your advantage to make your game work leo i appreciate your time thank you for having me you bet that's going to do it for this episode of superfluous poppycock guys until next time keep safe and let it fly.